0: All right, well, welcome to episode two of the Show Me the Money Hockey Podcast. Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio alongside Hart Levine. You guys know him better as Puckpedia. Well, Hart, thanks to the Tampa Bay Lightning and Mike Hoffman, our plans of recording episode two in the new year, well, those went out the window. Uh, you know, hey, we were discussing it in our last podcast. And if you missed episode one, go back and download it after you finish listening to this beauty. Uh, we've talked about it on NHL Network Radio. How were the Tampa Bay Lightning going to get cap compliant? We said, well, they're probably going to have to trade guys like Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn. Well, I think we kind of had it all wrong. Well, sort of.
1: I'll speak for yourself about having it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But no, but before we hear the Kucherov news, definitely like we expected some big trades. Um, when, when then when Kucherov was going to miss the start of the year, you know, we Yeah, I still expected some big trades because there's a big difference having a guy on LTR to start the year versus having him out for the full year. But then once we heard he's out for the full year – um, it became pretty clear then that they didn't have to make a move. Um, and we can get into this deal specifically, but, but with Kucherov out for the full regular season, um, they could they could uh, have got become cap compliant by just sending guys down without having to make a trade. Um, and making a trade just uh, made it a little easier for them, but they weren't in a position where they were desperate. And I think that helped them uh, you know, with their trade options.
0: Yeah, and, and look, so let's just make sure in case anybody has been under a rock in, in, in the hockey world missed the deal, the Lightning ship Cedric Paquette, Braden Coburn, along with a 2022 second-round pick to Ottawa for Marion Gabrick and goalie Anders Nielsen. And Hart, those guys are going to make an impact on that Lightning roster. Well, not really. <laughs> they're they're going to be on LTIR, still out with injuries. Gabrick, long gone, done. Uh, it's been a couple of years since he's played a game. Um, you know, it was interesting to hear the quotes from Breesbaugh. You talked about the fact that, they, you know, when they, when they were able to put Kucherov on LTIR, you know, it, it, they didn't have to make a deal. And I, 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 I just want to read the, the, his, what Breesbaugh said uh, when he addressed the media after the deal. He says, we could have gotten cap compliant without doing today's trade. But the way to get there would have been to, would have meant putting some vets on waivers, send them down to our taxi squad or the minor leagues, whichever one to get that 1.075 million off the books. And he goes, I didn't want to do that to them. I I didn't think it was the right thing to do. Then you end up guys with guys being unhappy, and you know these guys just want to play. So this was a way for us not to be in the situation where we had to send players to the minors. And I you know and at the end of the day. You know, I think it's, look, they got, they unloaded Cedric Paquette and they loaded Braden Coburn and two guys that, you know, played a role on this team. But I think it's fair to say, Hart, they're, they're replaceable.
1: Yeah. Just to Breezewell's comments. So yeah, after the last signing, which was the Sorelli signing, um, I tweeted out that they, they needed to clear about 2.9 million of cap space. Cause with Kucherov out, they can exceed the cap by nine and a half million and they were about. Uh, they were exceeding it by about 2.9 more than that. So to Breezeblaze's point, you how do you clear 2.9 million? You can send two guys um, that down to the miners or taxi squad that make 1.075 million or more, and then you'd still be left with about another 745,000. So they needed to send three guys down, two of them with big bigger than 1.075 million dollar cap it, another one um, over 745. So um, yeah, you could see why. They they could have done it. He had like we like I mentioned earlier. He had some leverage. Like he didn't have to make a trade, but um, by making a trade, and really this whole trade is about clearing out Coburn and Paquette. Uh, by doing that, now he, he's cap compliant and he doesn't have to send uh, a veteran down to the minors. And I think from a guy like Coburn, who had a no trade clause, I think it was probably a pretty clear discussion. You know, if you if you don't waive your no trade, I'm going to have to send you to the taxi squad, um, and probably keep you there for the whole year unless there's some other injuries. So, you know, do you want to not play or do you want to play for Ottawa? I think was probably the decision.
0: Yeah, and, and and to his point, I mean the idea, you know, to put Tyler Johnson, let's say, in the minors. I mean that's just that's a real kick in the shorts and, and something that he wouldn't want, want to do but may have been forced to do. And that's just not the way you treat a guy like Tyler Johnson. You know, we, we've seen Julian Breesbaugh and the Lightning dance out of cap hell before. You know, we were talking off air about the JT Miller trade. When you rate, if you were to rate, you know, the job that, that, um, that Breesbaugh has done these last two off seasons in getting himself, getting this team cap compliant, what kind of grade would you give them?
1: Oh, I mean, in the either in um reign, I would give it an A plus for, for all these years. You, they're always it always, every year. It seems like oh, they're not going to have cap room. How are they going to make it work? When was the last time they had to get rid of a player that they wanted to keep? Maybe JT Miller, and they got a first round pick. They they always seem to make trades to either um, to get assets if they are a good asset if they're going to move someone like Miller, or they just you know, they don't, they don't do anything and they, they, they get guys on good contracts and they make it work. Look at all these teams we've seen over the last few years where they're tight for cap space and they're attaching like good assets in order to move a bad one. Um, I'm reminded of last year's draft when Toronto had to trade a first round pick to Carolina to get them to take Patrick Marlowe. Um, and we see other trades like that all the time where you have to attach an asset um, in order to move a bad asset. And this second round pick in two years that Tampa just gave up. I, that's the first time I can really think of um, where they had to give up an asset to, to move a contract. And, you know, sure, it's a second round pick in a couple of years. It's, but that's nowhere near like moving a good prospect or moving a, a first round pick or anything. So, uh, you know, what, uh, they're one of these teams that whenever you think that they might be tight, they don't panic. They take their time. And whether it's through injuries or just smart cap maneuvering, um, they, they make it work. So I think it's a model franchise for cap management.
0: Yeah, I mean, Breesbaugh said, I never had any doubt that we'd be cap-compliant. I never really doubted that we'd be able to sign Sorelli, Sergachev, and Chernak and keep most of our good players, and that's what he did. And, and just to go back to Braden Coburn, he's 36 games shy of a 1,000. Uh, that's going to be, you know, in, in Tampa in a 56-game season, he may not reach that number. In Ottawa, he's more than likely to reach that number. I don't see how like if they hadn't made
1: this let's say they hadn't made the trade or any trade like there's really no way he could play because they would have had to send him down and a couple other guys like him down to be compliant on day one and unless some other guys were out long-term um, like a long-term LTIR you wouldn't have be able to call him up uh, kind of on an emergency basis because that's a cap hit of a million dollars or less so I I think again, unless there were some long term injuries, I think he would have been hard pressed to get like five games with Tampa this year. So yeah, it's a. I think for him, you know, obviously he won a cup there and he he wanted to stay, but going to Ottawa and playing games is a lot better than being stuck on the taxi squad for for really not due to lack of ability. It's just due to cap hit.
0: Yeah, and it's a lot easier to swallow when you've already got a Stanley Cup ring. Uh, yeah. on your finger. Uh, so, Hey, look, uh, a good thing all around Brisebois, as he said, you know, he's very transparent with Braden Coburn uh, throughout this process. And that just bodes well in, in him, whatever, you know, just in trying to bring in players, future free agents, especially down the road. I'd, I'd like for you to, uh, to address a, a tweet that I saw last night from Gord Miller from TSN, who said, I think this loophole needs to be closed. Cap relief from long-term injury reserve should only count for players who were playing for that team at the time they went on LTIR and not acquired from someone else. It's legal, but it's cap circumvention. Just your your thoughts on, on why that may not be the case in, in, in Tampa's case, at least. Yeah. Well, there's
1: a couple parts to that. So for, I guess let's first start with Tampa. They actually getting Gabrick and Nielsen did not help them at all. Um, because they were already into LTIR, they're already already going to use pretty much all of Kucherov's nine and a half million. So yes, they've added to their LTIR pool for Gabrick and Nielsen, but they've also added those players' cap hits to their total too. So it's it's like a I would call it like a neutral impact. There there's really no benefit to them um, for getting them, but there's no negative. And I guess maybe that is uh, the the positive part is Ottawa obviously they want to move out cash, especially cash that's not helping their team at all. So because of Tampa's LTIR situation, they were able to take what is kind of a negative for Ottawa, which is paying players to not play for them, and they could bring them on to their cap situation with kind of a neutral impact. So again, I, I guess that's kind of a, it helps Tampa, but really that did nothing to help Tampa's uh, cap situation. And I actually posted a an article about this uh, on puckpedia.com the other day just about like when is it helpful to trade for an LTIR contract and it's only helpful if you have a player on LTIR that you don't think is going to be there for the full year because by getting another LTIR player you don't have to try to exit it during the year or the other reason is if you just can't make the math add up to sort of maximize the pool for the opening roster and as we talked about the, the lightning are going to be close to like the using the full ltr pool so it doesn't help them there so they don't kind of meet any of those criteria for it to be beneficial but again i guess the the benefit is that tampa could take that asset from or i guess that negative asset from ottawa and it doesn't like hurt them at all Uh, but to gordon's point I do think that we should definitely need to change some of the LTR rules. First, this is kind of the official Puckpedia um, endorsed view. It's way too complicated. There's no reason why only a handful of people should be able to kind of explain or understand it. And I know, you know, even within teams, there's lots of miscommunication or confusion about it because it's not even all spelled out in the CBA. They had to kind of put some of these rules together after the, the CBA came out with it. So you've got all these rules. I don't know what's documented. What's just sort of word of mouth throughout the league. And again, it's just way too complicated how the pool is determined. So I think that there definitely needs to be some LTIR reform. Whether part of that is it's only a player that got hurt while you're while on the team. I mean, I don't I don't know about that part. Maybe. I mean, in the end though, the more teams you have using LTIR and over the cap, um, and assuming that most of the other teams are still pretty close to the cap, it just means that the players are going to exceed even more their expected uh share the 50 50 share so by these moves with tampa and allowing tampa to be cap compliant by spending like 90 95 million in salary it just means that that overall player's share is uh there's still like a bigger pot owing to the owners and than before and the players are going to have to work it off over the next few years but it's yet another reason why the cap isn't moving from 81 and a half for probably the length of this new cba
0: All right, well, Hart, some news as we record here on Monday, December 28th. Uh, Corey Perry signs in Montreal for under a million dollars. Andre Athanasiu signs in LA for $1.2 a one-year deal. Hart, he had more money on the table from the Edmonton Oilers. This is kind of similar to what Anthony Duclair, the Duclair situation when he gave up, when he passed up money in Ottawa.
1: Yeah, it's a similar situation with some of these restricted free agents where the teams were hesitant to qualify them, um, I guess because both they didn't want the qualifying offer accepted. In the case of Athens it would have been a $3 million qualifying offer. Um, but also they didn't want to be taken to arbitration. And again, with our CU, two years ago, we scored over 30 goals, which is like, uh, that's gold for an arbitrator. So the Oilers didn't want to to. Um, give the qualifying offer to either have to be paying 3 million for one year or potentially go to arbitration. Um, so they, they wouldn't issue a qualify, qualifying offer and from all reports. So they made a, an offer to Athens you for one or two years at, I think in the 2 million range is what I'd seen some reports on. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the player and agent figured that uh, there was maybe more money out there on the market. So it was interesting. And like we saw, again, similar situation for athanasiu Cahoon, and Declare. And they all signed for, I think Declare was 1.6, Cahoon 9.75, and now athanasiu 1.2. So it shows that the grass wasn't uh, greener out there, right? The open market didn't get them more money. And so in hindsight, I, I guess, um, unless they, they really did want to just move to a new, new city but for money wise they were probably better off taking the offer that the team uh presented even though it was below the quali- qualifying offer but i think there's kind of like a mental hurdle when the team is offering you lower than your qualifying offer it's kind of hard to accept that from that team it's maybe easier to take that same money from someone else
0: yeah i mean that, and you're right and and we hear that a lot i mean I, i've heard players say that and, and it's it's a pride issue i get it um but as we're seeing some of these guys, you know, overplayed the market. And, you know, Athanasiu didn't do himself any favors in Edmonton with his performance. So, you know, he's got another shot at it in Los Angeles. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. All right. Let's talk about Mike Hoffman uh agreeing to a PTO with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, let, we'll start there before we get to a couple of the other RFA defensemen, Vince Dunn and Ethan Baer, but Mike Hoffman signing a PTO. We know he's going to sign with the blues. Um, and, and the belief would be hard that they're, they're just waiting for all their, their LTIR space to clear up and, and then they bring Hoffman in. And if that's the case, you know, what number do you see Hoffman coming in at in St. Louis?
1: Well, um, with the projected roster right now, uh, the blues have the blues at 1.2 million over the cap um, with, with, 21 healthy guys um, on the roster um, with Steen being out. That was really the key one because um, he's going to be out for the year at a 5.75 million dollar cap it Terrasenko is also out, but he's going to be coming back partway through the year. So that's going to make it more difficult um, to kind of use that space, especially uh, for more than just the very start of the year. So they kind of have about a 5.75 million dollar bucket to fill. Um, and so I think the X factor is what done signs science for if that's like under 2 million, um, let's say that puts them at three three million or so over the cap. Then that gives them uh, about two point seven five million um, to to use on the existing roster to sign Hoffman. That's probably too little, right? So it sounds like what will happen is they'll they'll maybe they make another roster move. Um, we've talked uh, in the past about there's a couple forwards at a, about a one point five million dollar range, like a Sanford, Blay, Barbashev. Maybe move one of them out, or alternatively. Um, they send a couple guys down um, before the opening roster submission, and, we, and we've covered this a bit in the past. But get under the cap for the opening roster submission, uh, submit that, then put um, Steen on LTIR, get most of his five point seven five million, and Tarasenko's seven point five as uh, the LTIR pool, and then officially sign Hoffman's contract and. You know, I think Elliott Freeman was reporting around $4 million. They would be able to do that. Um, they may just be a little bit more than Steen's um, $5.75 million over, but it would give them uh, you know, however long Tarasenko's out to maybe make another roster move and, and clear up that little bit of extra space. But it's really um, – the, the numbers are going to depend on what Dunn and Hoffman signed for, but I think it's pretty clear that the kind of order of operations is to submit the opening roster, set the LTR pool, and then uh, sign
0: Hoffman to his contract. Yeah, I think uh, Doug Armstrong, he should be taking notes from Julian Brisebois on on, on how to manipulate uh, the roster because, yeah, I agree with you. It it would seem to me that, uh, you know, if you're looking at roughly around $6 million to sign Hoffman and Vince Dunn, if that's the case, you know, maybe he can get away with it. But I think we may, Blues fans, I, I think, shouldn't be surprised if someone on that roster now gets moved to, to help with the cap space let's get into the vince dunn situation why is he not signed like what, what what what's the game you know look i know agents and and gms they you know everyone's playing a little bit of a game and a little chicken they're all trying to get as much of the pie as they can or you know protect the pie if you're the gm but why isn't vince dunn signed <laughs> they're probably in
1: agreement except for the term and the dollars Oh, okay so <laughs> so nothing so, no, no, no. no. oh, so it's pretty easy i think with these defensemen it's there's been a few defensemen right we've signed chernak sign we've seen meyer sign they took three-year deals um we haven't seen any defensemen of the kind of that class take a two-year deal and we saw some lower defensemen uh like a Dermott uh take basically a qualifying offer under a million dollars. I think the challenge is for trying to find the right fit um, in terms of the, the dollars and the money. I think without Hoffman, I think that St. Louis could afford to pay kind of the right amount on a three-year deal to get him signed. But, but adding in Hoffman, I just think now it's pretty clear there's no way to, even if they agreed on how much a three-year deal was worth, I just don't see how they can make that fit with Tarasenko coming back. So to me then for done, you're talking one or two-year deal. Um, and it's just about... Yeah, I think teams are – and I think both teams and players are hesitant to do a one-year deal with such a short, weird season. I mean, if if the player gets hurt and misses most of the year, that's really going to hurt their value for next year. If the team has some other defensemen getting hurt, then that player on a one-year deal is going to play more, score more, and then they're going to have a lot of power um, after this year and now with arbitration rights. So I think a one-year deal like we have done and Bear and – um kind of left and and we've, we've seen uh, Chernak and Myers sign for three years. I just think one year deals probably weren't in the cards for those guys. So it's probably a two year deal. I think from a, a player standpoint, like the two year deal is probably better if they f- have confidence in their abilities, because you're going to get through this, this contract with no Arb rights. And then you'll come out of a two year deal. You'll be two years from under circuit for agency. You will have arbitration rights, um, you'll have a lot more leverage and, and hopefully some more uh, good years under your belt. And even if you can't get to a deal you like in two years time, well, you're, like I said, you, you have arbitration rights and you could go the arbitration route and just kind of get yourself to UFA and get out of there um, unless you get paid what you think you're worth. So I think both the, the I, I think it takes a more compelling offer for the player to take a three-year deal. I think if they're not that happy with the money, they're, they're better off to take a two year deal. And that's probably what we'll see with Dunn and, and potentially with Bear as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, so so if you're if you're Dunn or, or Bear, as you're saying, and you're talking you're, you're talking about the, the, the two year deal for the player being a better option. Um, then then just out of curiosity, if a two year deal is better for Dunn and Bear, why was a three year deal good for Myers and Chernak?
1: Well, a three-year deal would be good for any of them if they could get the money right. Um, I think that Dunn and Bear probably see themselves getting more money than Myers um, and probably the same or more than Chernak. And I just think those teams probably don't want to uh, pay up to that point. So if you can't get the money to make it work, like if you're not happy with the money on a two- or a three-year deal, then you're better off taking the two-year deal um, and kind of sucking it up and at least getting through this contract that you feel you're underpaid on quicker. I guess it's probably the best way to put
0: it. All right. Well, that, that, that makes sense. And, it, you know, if you were a betting man, by the time we do episode three, which should be in and around the time the training camp starts, we'll both Dunn and bear be with their respective teams, the Oilers and the blues.
1: I think so. I think especially with this year, with the um, quarantine and, and COVID testing requirements, um it's not like in a normal year where you can sign the first day or two of training camp and then get there and you're fine like if these guys didn't sign until the third um then they're probably you know they maybe get they would get a practice or two in before the season starts um i think it puts more pressure on like for kind of you know, before New Year's, probably like today or tomorrow to get these deals done. So if they miss camp, it's only going to be, or if they miss the start of training camp because of COVID testing and quarantining protocols, it's for a day or two. It's not kind of like the whole camp.
0: Do you think in any way from, from just to finish up here with the, the Euler situation, does the Slater Cuckoo signing in any way impact ethan bear and just it gives a little more leverage to the oilers do you feel that in any way do you get a sense um do you get a sense from people you talk to that that they're, that the Oilers have a little more leverage now
1: no i don't think that cuckoo affects it at all because i mean i think they're playing different spots like if you look by the numbers bear was our top right defenseman last year um you know i know they have barry and larson but um you know, bears probably going to play the most five on five minutes of those guys, or at least if not the most minutes against the toughest competition um, of those minutes potentially. Um, and I think Cuckoo is like in your bottom pairing, uh, maybe even your seventh defenseman. I think Cuckoo is competing with like Chris Russell and William Lagesson for like the six, seven, eight uh, spots. So I think the, the biggest person impacted by Cuckoo is uh, Laguson, Who's now, uh, most likely, I would think on waivers and on the taxi squad instead of potentially starting as the number seventh guy.
0: Yeah, well, then, you know, with the importance of Bear, then it's time to, you know, stop messing around, Ken Holland. Let's get this thing done for sure. And no pun intended, and Vince <laughs> like Armstrong, get this thing done, right? Are, are you with me there? Like, like we should just, like, let's stop, let's stop messing around. We want – these guys need to be signed, sealed, and delivered – um uh, because there's no issues uh by the way with with dunn he doesn't have the same quarantine issues that that ethan bear would have
1: correct well i'm not sure where dunn is it depends where he is the mm-hmm. rules in the u.s are um if he were to fly private or drive he wouldn't necessarily have to do the seven-day quarantine unless they say he came from a quote unsafe um environment so you know i don't know i don't know if he's in st louis then that makes it easy if he's um can drive or get access to a private plane um, then he's yeah probably fine but again I think that both will sign will be signed in the next day or two and I, I you know and in, in what you're hearing and knowing from those teams too I think it's probably the offers are on the table and it's probably for the the player and agent to make a decision about what they're going to take
0: all right Hart. I think it's time to put a, a wrap on this one uh, just to remind everybody you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram you can follow me at West Coast Hockey, follow Hart at puckpedia.com. Follow uh, the show at Show Me the Money Hockey Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter.
1: Yeah, and make sure uh, you please subscribe so you don't miss the next episodes coming up. And then reading and reviewing it uh, would really help us. So uh, looking forward to uh, getting some more episodes under the belt.
0: Yeah, we've got our, our next episode. Episode 3 will hit uh, sometime in that first week of January. We have a special guest for that one don't want to jinx anything until we get it uh all signed sealed delivered and recorded so for hart levine i'm jonathan davis you've been listening to the show me the money hockey podcast